Hey Space Watchers, this is Space Cafe Radio, your channel about trends, cool people and real conferences. I'm Thorsten, publisher of Spacewatch.global. As I'm very curious, I continued my interviews with inspiring people from the space sector. This talk I had with Ken Hodgkins, president of International Space Enterprise Consultants in Virginia. Ken has over 40 years of U.S. government experience in international space law and policy. He was lead negotiator on major bilateral and multilateral corporations on long-term sustainability of space activities, transparency and predictability of space operations, space exploration, nuclear power sources in space, global navigation satellites and remote sensing. He was also the U.S. representative to the U.N. Committee of the Peaceful Use of Outer Space definitely a person to listen. Ken, thank you very much for taking the time talking to me. What have been your personal space highlights in the last 12 months? Well, I think the last 12 months that has been very, very exciting. I think there were a couple of things. One is the burgeoning activities of the private sector and new actors in space, particularly from the industry. The launch cadence has been really phenomenal in terms of the number of objects being launched into space. Generally, a good track record in terms of reliability of launch capabilities, which I think is good for industry generally. The other interesting development that will bleed over into 2022 is the human spaceflight. Human spaceflight was considered to be solely focused on the space station. Now we have China up there for a long duration of human activity. And we have a number of private sector initiatives that developed in 2021 uh, on human spaceflight. And I think that's really interesting. And it's an area that we have to look at with, with a great deal of intensity from a legal, economic, political standpoint. Is there a particular event that touched you personally most? I think the realization within industry that they need to take the initiative to ask governments to do certain things that make their life easier in advancing or accelerating the global space economy. There are more and more actors in the private sector, even the small to medium firms who realize that They can only go so far with innovation and investment before they run up against what the government's going to allow them to do. And now they're realizing that they have to be proactive and asking governments very specifically, I need predictability. I need transparency. I know I have to be regulated, but you have to give me what the rules of the road are. Ken, you're an expert in the entire space economy and the regulatory environment. So in that specific field, what was a highlight in the last year? Well, there are a couple of initiatives. One is the AIAA, and they've come up with this concept called Ascent, which is basically what do we need to do to accelerate the global space economy? And I think they are talking about, you know, the tr $3 trillion dollar potential for the global space economy. I think that's a, a theme that needs to be carried over to all international activity, which is what do we need to do to put together a proactive agenda from industry standpoint to push, push governments to make certain decisions. So AIAA has started that. I think that 
the fact that a lot of companies now are out there, particularly the mega constellations in, in low Earth orbit, the current as well as future ones, who are saying, we're, we're proceeding with our plans, but we need to have a better model for assessing what the impact of the large constellations in low Earth orbit will have in terms of managing that orbit. And that is going to require taking the knowledge that these companies have currently and the knowledge that they might apply for future constellations and and the future management of those to come up with a coherent model that everybody can agree on that can assess the impact of the large constellation. And apparently we don't have that model. It really is dependent upon some limited government activity as well as uh, limited private sector activity. But I think that should be accelerated. Taking the experience from the last year, from the last 12 months, from your point of view, what does the space industry need most? Is there anything or are we perfectly situated already? Well, so my experience has been the individual companies have a view, but there's only so far that they're prepared to take that because then they start running up against their regulators and the regulators can make or break private sector initiative depending on their models or their view of the world. So what we have to do is set kind of basic ground rules for how the industry and the, these new ventures interact with governments. And one of the things that I've been working on is through the Hague Institute for Global Justice and the off-world approach. And the off-world approach is going to be a sustained international non-governmental platform where civil society can make their views known on what they need and what they expect for the future. I really believe that this will make for a more transparent and predictable international framework as we move forward with shared principles on issues such as predictability, transparency, interoperability, compatibility among systems, the sustainability of the space environment, as well as using space systems for sustainability on Earth. But this will be a venue for civil society to have a view that is not filtered through government positions, as is the case within the UN Outer Space Committee. That sounds like something definitely to watch out for the next year or the next years. What made you space happy or what made you space angry to take the both yin and yangs? Because so far we talked mostly about what made you happy. Right. Well, I, th I think the ASAT tests that have been taking place. And while you can understand that sovereign nations will take measures to protect their general publics, to protect their national securities as they see it, I mean, that's understandable. But in this particular case, the testing has a global impact, much like the nuclear tests in, in the atmosphere that occurred back in the 60s. So that's why we banned nuclear testing in the atmosphere and placing uh, weapons of mass destruction in space. And the ASAT testing 
while, again, countries are demonstrating their capabilities, they're sending a message, obviously, to their adversaries or potential adversaries. They're also having a real-time impact on space operations because if you're blowing things up just to test, then you're already interfering with Mm. other people's activities in space. So you're testing, you're sending a message, but you're having a real impact immediately. And that's not good. And all it tells you is that if somebody is really serious about doing these things in the future, it will have a catastrophic effect in the orbits around the Earth. So the testing is testing, but it has a big impact. And it'll be even bigger if these states become more serious about it. So that's kind of the bad part of what's going on. Now, the other challenge, speaking from my experience, having worked in the U.S. government, looking at the geopolitical landscape, the human spaceflight element has taken off, has exploded in a very, very short period of time. As I mentioned before, we've gone from the space shuttle to the space station. And now we're looking at China having a long-duration human platform in orbit and the private sector. And I think that the challenge now is going to be, are we going to be interoperable and compatible? Are we going to have the capability of these stations serving all humans in space? So can we have missions, rescue missions between a Chinese station and a U.S. station or between a Chinese station and a private, privately funded station. That's going to take a certain amount of imagination to get to that point because the private stations are under no obligation to do anything in particular other than make sure their governments comply with the treaties to provide authorization and supervision. But that could be a very light touch. What would, in my view, will be needed is a serious discussion on what is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal up there is to provide a safe environment for humans. And then everything else flows from that, which would be doing experiment, making money, whatever it is. But we can't have humans dying in space because we don't have the capacity to save them using all the assets that are out there. So I could envisage in the future a a major discussion among the private sector element of permanent presence in Earth orbit and the government aspect of permanent presence in orbit, which would be a really fascinating discussion. And it, it would be needed. I mean, under the Treaty of the Return and Rescue of Astronauts and the Return of Space Objects, member states are obligated to provide assistance to astronauts. Well, you know, there's a question, what is an astronaut? Is it a a person that buys a ticket to a space station? What is going to be the criminal jurisdiction? So the human spaceflight has really taken off, if you will, because now that has to be the dominant discussion or one of the more dominant discussions for the future. What do we have to watch out for the next year? From your point of view, I assume that will include the human spaceflight activities, but what else? I think what's really needed is a dedicated discussion on predictability and transparency in how these ventures are authorized and supervised and how responsibility is shared among member states of the treaties 
who have multinational commercial ventures under their control and how do states interact on it. If, if you take, for example, close proximity operations and you have a satellite belonging to one country and a close proximity operating satellite from another country, what is the shared responsibility and liability in the event that damage is caused to a third party? That's just one example. And I think the insurance industry is going to be looking at this. They have to move beyond concerns about insuring a launch or insuring a telecommunications satellite. They also have to start looking at when people come in and say, I need to be insured for my private space station. I need to be insured for my private operation on the moon. What will the insurance company be looking for from governments in order to assess what the risks are? Because they want to make money. If a company is prepared to pay for insurance, there's going to have to be some way of of assessing the risk, not only the physical risk, but also the policy risk in terms of the predictability standpoint. I think also we we have to, to begin looking at the younger generation of entrepreneurs and how we adjust our thinking. When I say our thinking, I'm talking about people like your age and my age, because we have a very specific way we've looked at space over the decades. We have young people coming in who are innovative, who are making great strides, but they, they aren't worried about what the national space policy is or what the treaties say. All I know is I have an idea. I can attract investors and this is what I want to do. But our job is to make sure that when they get to a point of doing what they want to do, they don't hit a bureaucratic stone wall where we say, well, we never anticipated that in our national policy. Therefore, wait until we figure out if you can do it. Well, that's not a good thing. That's the other part. It's the young, the young people, the young people who are coming up and what do we have to do to make their jobs easier? Great. Is there any space personality or group of people for you in the last year? Well, for me, it's Elon Musk and, and Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson in their operation. Because for me, there are so many people, they're part of those three companies that I grew up with professionally that are in those three companies And we all had spoken the same language. Now, I took a different route in my career. I stayed in the government. All these other people that I know went out of the government, went into these three companies. And so they have a really good perspective on what is needed, not only from an investment commercial standpoint, but also interacting with the governments. And so the things that those three companies have done over the past year have been very successful and they've caught the imagination of folks. And when people look at what all of this means, they, I, I think everybody sees this as a positive thing. They no longer see it as jet setters paying a lot of money because when you look at what people are paying to go into space, either orbital or suborbital, yes, there's a high-end ticket, but people are prepared to pay for that. There's a low-end ticket, and the general concept of access to space for everybody, I think, is really appealing, uh, not only from a societal standpoint, because people like to be 
happy. They like to be encouraged. They like to be fascinated, even though it might only be for half an hour. But that all sticks in their psyche. And I just see that part of it blooming into other areas. So when someone talks about, I'm going to build a mining operation on the moon, people aren't going to say that's crazy because they know 15 years before they said a private company going into space with people was crazy. Well, guess what? It wasn't that crazy. And that part of it really is fascinating for me. It's a societal issue that would be another really interesting area to start really looking at now, because I think the culture of space, the culture that's developed on the space station, now we're, we're talking about 20 years. I mean, there is a space culture up there. I just read that anthropologists are, are looking at that and it makes sense. You, know, you have human interaction in a austere environment. How do they cope? And what are the things that they leave up there? And what are the things that are important as reflected by pictures that were taken or whatever? And I think that's another interesting area. Thank you for listening today. If you want to stay on the pulse of space, visit our website, our mothership at spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. But of course, don't forget to become a Space Watcher. I'm Thorsten Kreening, CEO and publisher of SpaceWatch.Global, your independent perspective of space.